Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About Comics is brought to you by Shortbox. That's right. Somebody wanted to partner with us. Shortbox is an app and a website for safely buying and selling graded comic books. You can get it on iOS, Android, even a regular old computer. And they're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industries. And Shortbox trusts us. Therefore... We have worth. Amazing. Uh, right now, they're doing a giveaway where you can win a free copy of The Dark Knight Returns number one, the 2018 printing signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen. <laughs> Go to shortbox.com slash screw it to enter your email. No purchase necessary to be in the running. And that contest is going until March 10th, 2022. Download Shortboxed today. I will. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. It's the only podcast where two brothers talk about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of your hosts slash brother slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. I'm the other brother, co-host, kind of comedian, Will Hines. We know now that our introduction is totally not true, right? Yeah, we have found out that uh, <laughs> not only are there other brother podcasts talking about things they love, which we sort of suspect. We sort of knew that. There are also podcasts with brothers talking about comic books, often like with the word brothers in their title. <laughs> like real easy to find, like a minimum yeah. of research we yeah. would have found out. But like if that was our selling point, which I, I don't know if it is. I don't know what our selling point is. I don't it know. It can't be that. It can't be that. I don't know what it is. But if our selling point was that we were brothers, <laughs> we, we should have that in our title, right? <laughs> we, nothing we do is smart. <laughs> Kevin and I used to do improv together. We were with the Brothers Hines, and our quote hook was that we were related. But is that yeah, we're hook? related? It was our hook. I mean, it, at what least people in, what what they want to see in their comedy is people who are more alike <laughs> doing things. It's I mean, like at the least, opposite of diversity. Like at least not the, only it, are we not only are we yeah. straight white dudes, we're like the same straight white dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at least in that world, we were the only at that theater show of people who were related to each other. That's true. So like it was like it is what made us different. It just is Within, it interesting that yeah it, that we never claimed. It's um, it's like oh here's a movie. This movie is going to be uh, <laughs> this movie is very unique. It's about uh, uh, keyboard people who build keyboards. It's like oh, that doesn't make me interested, but it is unique. I guess it's unique. And by the way, yeah. I would be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like that? How good I've gotten at improv through this pandemic is like, oh, what should what should I be? I'm looking at a keyboard right now. Oh, is that why you he, did that? <laughs> yeah. I've become, that's how my younger, my younger, my son comes up with a story ideas. It's what's right in front of him. Yeah. And now I've incorporated that as well. It's not a bad technique. It's the uh, usual suspects way of <laughs> yeah, crafting right. a story. Usual suspects is one of those surprise endings that when I first saw it blew me away. Then the next time I was like, this is actually really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it worked. It worked when I saw it the first time. So I can't, it's, you know. I think about it all the time, how funny that is. It's such a funny thing being like, uh, I told you a lie and all the details were behind you. <laughs> and you didn't catch any of them. But it's also yeah. just like, I'm this master liar, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But I didn't come in prepared, I guess. <laughs> so I, <laughs> That's I how know, cocky he was. It's very funny. So there this is, is um, I saw on uh, online a, a, a Naked Gun has like a or not Naked Gun. Uh, who's the star of Naked Gun? Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen did like a fugitive spoof movie that I'm sure is not good. Okay, it's like in that stretch where he was just doing spoof movies every like, like the vampire one and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so there's one called uh, I forget what it's called, but it's a fugitive spoof, and there's a Usual Suspects one, but like all his specifics are like outrageously dumb. 
He's like, oh, yeah, I'm working at the fishing lore store <laughs> uh, where I and it's just like and it, he's I in a fishing know. store. You're selling me on this movie. I kind of want the, to the clip it. was very funny. So maybe the movie is good. But it was like, wasn't the vampire I, one? Wasn't that a Mel Brooks one? Dead and loving it. Yeah, that the I got you know yeah. what? that title makes me laugh that because it's so corny. You know what yeah. I mean? It's so joyfully just like dumb. Yeah. I'm saying those are bad. I've never seen any of them, but there was like he just after like Naked Gun, he did like a slew of like Naked Gun ish type movies. Yes, yes. good for him. That looked schlockier. Oh no, yeah, the, collect the money, Leslie yeah. Nielsen. You deserve every penny you made. But uh, yeah, they look like worse, less yeah. slick versions of Naked Gun. Because I, I mean, Naked Gun movies are great. Um, uh, I mean, anything with OJ Simpson in it, I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> But like, that's what drew you. To that. That's what drew me in. And that was post murder. I was like, let's see what this guy's done. What else? I like this murder. What else has he done? This trial is compelling. Let me see his other work. Um, but like those movies are good, but it's almost like an airplane. I still think airplane is just one of the best movies. It really is. I, I saw it, it recently and it, I really loved it. It's crafted pretty carefully. I think in a weird way, like, yeah, it isn't just like, oh, let's throw a joke in. Great. First joke. No, it's it's, in. it seems pretty, pretty worked on. Yeah, it feels like it went through some drafts. Yeah, I got argument in college. Um, a friend of mine was from Bulgaria okay. and had not seen, I just didn't get a lot of references and was sort sure. of frustrated by it. And I was like, I was like, hey, I'll make a list of movies and we'll watch them together just so you catch these references. You might like some of them, you might not like them. Okay. And on my list was Airplane. And all my friends were like, don't show Airplane's terrible. Don't show them Airplane. And I was, and I was very strongly of like, first of all, she's going to love Airplane. It's going to be her okay. favorite one of these movies. Two, you just are saying it because you've seen it a thousand times. Yeah, you got tired of it or whatever. It became... I bet this movie is going to be a huge hit. Uh, and she loved it. It was a huge oh, hit. And, I, and every, all my friends who watched it with us were also like, oh, yeah, that was great. Because <laughs> like none of them had seen it in like 10, Airplane 20 years. Airplane is very special. It's, yeah. so, it's like the ultimate dad joke, but such a good dad joke that it's like, that's actually just a good joke. And delivered great and like. So deadpan. And the pace of it is also really good. Like there'd be like joke, 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 breath, two jokes at the same time. Breath. It's like, really good. It's you, really, it's really special and good. You don't know for sure when the jokes are hitting, even though they're hitting so frequently. The weird thing is if you watch all the Zucker brothers stuff in a row, like Kentucky fried movie, and then that, and then airplane two, and then top secret, like airplane stands way out as like, they just hit it right on the screws for that. Yeah. Every other one they did has some major. Yeah drawback think, or flaw i think they didn't do airplane too oh really i think they maybe were producers on it or something and got money for it but i think they were not involved in making that movie oh then i retract yeah. my blame to uh, them of that but they did do top secret and i love i think top secret i, I love great top too. secret too but like top secret is strange and particular and it, yeah. i don't i don't think it works as well as airplane it's kind of like it's it's doing different things right but right top secret but, um, is like 80 percent there yeah, the and the airplane is like one hundred percent so great, mm -hmm. and Val Kilmer is so good in it. Yeah. Kilmer, but, but Kil Kilmer. Yeah, you see the doc on Val Kilmer, the Val doc. You got to say his name faster. It sounds weird, I guess. Val Val Kilmer. <laughs> uh, I have not seen the doc, but I hear it's good. I really liked it. I've never been a particular fan of Val or. I've never really had feelings one way or the other. And he filmed himself his whole life. And it's kind of narcissistic <laughs> that he has all this footage of himself, but he also was kind of artsy about it. And like, he was, he was sort of truthful and honest and authentic. And I was like, you know what? I like this guy. Uh, and he, and he suffered a lot of tragedy oh. and stuff. And it was, I thought, I thought it was really good. 
pop quiz. What's the first thing I think of when you say Val Kilmer? Uh, Real Genius. Nope. Batman. Nope. Uh, Tombstone. You and I going to David Letterman. Oh. And Val was Kilmer a was a guest and he was really boring. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Was um was, was JJ... it or was it, was it Letterman? Maybe it was Conan. You and I went to a talk show taping. Yeah. And we didn't know who the guest would be because you just get those way ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was JJ Walker. There's Letterman. He uh, kept doing uh, Jose Feliciano jokes. Yeah. And it was like a bad episode. Yeah. It was like still fun to be there because I had not been to, I think, a talk show taping at that time. Right. I remember this. Yeah. Uh, and I remember it being like, oh, it's fun to be here. But like the interviews were like worse than if I had watched an interview at night. Because if it was a, if it was a bad interview, I'd change the channel. <laughs> you can't but do didn't that when David you're David Letterman audience. make what I remember with J.J. Walker is he kept making Jose Feliciano jokes. He was a blind singer in the 70s that nobody knows anymore. Mm-hmm. But J.J. Walker was an older comic. So to him, that was a modern reference. And he also made a Ray Charles being blind joke. And I think Letterman made fun of that. Like at some point, J.J. Walker said, who does this guy think he is, Ray Charles or something? And then like later in the interview, Letterman went, who does that guy think he is, Ray Charles? Like he also used yeah. the Ray Charles thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I remember enjoying it and like Letterman still being great. It was also early, late show Letterman. Yeah, he was just new at CBS. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why it was in. easier to get tickets or something like that because they yeah. had this big theater and stuff. And it was a couple years. It was a couple years in because I don't think I was. Uh, it wasn't like my freshman year of college when he was first started, but he was. Uh, it was still Letterman. It was still like Letterman, full of life. excitement and hope, and like yeah. still committed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Letterman's kind of Letterman's kind of always great. I love Letterman even at the end when he was just sort of phoning it in, and just, <laughs> I kind of love him more when he's phoning it in. It makes me laugh. People talked about like they'd be like, "Oh, how much do you work? Do you come in and do these?" He's like, "If I was working that hard, I wouldn't still be doing the show." <laughs> like, it was just like. Like he was coming in a little later, <laughs> leaving a little earlier. And I was like, uh, yeah. you get to that point, right? It's like, if I can't do this on autopilot, yeah, I don't want to do it. Uh, Norm MacDonald has a, had a show on Netflix where he was like a talk show. Mm-hmm. And it's very, in my opinion, hit or miss, depending on the guest. I kind of like Norm, so it's all good. But like, sometimes it's really good. And the best guest is Drew Barrymore because Norm is flirting with her and actually engaged. <laughs> Uh, which is a lame reason for it to be a good episode, but that did make it good. But Letterman was the next best guest. Letterman is the guest on Norm was just so funny. Yeah, that's got. I, I got to watch that. That sounds uh, great. It's it's really worth it. I think. Um, uh, once Letterman just was only working now and then. Whenever he shows up, he's fully engaged and funny mm-hmm. and sharp. Um. Anyway. So we talk about comic books. For yeah. <laughs> this, this is our uh, Will and Kev catch up segment. Uh, so this is our mutants and mailbag episode. Yeah, an episode where we talk about Letterman, Airplane. Uh, <laughs> that's where we talk about the Uncanny X Men run by Chris Claremont, and then answer some reader mail. Yeah, and uh, Kevin, this uh, for this episode we went over issues one fifty five to one fifty eight. That's right. And so um, this was a big Star Jammer storyline. They're they're back with the Star Jammers and trying to rescue Lalandra. Uh, there's some brood fighting. It's very complicated, right? Like I, I had trouble. I had trouble following the story, and I think you did too. I had. I have questions for you, but now I'm worried because I don't think you're gonna be able to answer them. I'm definitely not. I was hoping you had read them more carefully than me. Okay. Um, my overall impression, I'll say mine, and then you say yours, is I'm still very fascinated by the X Men, and I'm enjoying it. However, I do feel like we're in a little bit of a dip, like Claremont without Burn 
arguing him or whatever it was has lost his way a little bit. I still, there's still lots to love and his characterization is really interesting. Basically character moments. I still like, and little conversations between the X-Men I'm intrigued by, and I can put myself in my little 13 year old brain and be like, the X-Men is cooler than every other Marvel comic going. Mm-hmm. I think that's all true, but like the plot's so complicated. The action is boring. The art is inconsistent mm-hmm. uh, that it's, uh, it just feels like it's lost its way a little bit right now. Yeah. I agree with all that. It's also interesting. Cause like the first time they went to space was also Cockrum. It wasn't burned did the last issue of it, but that storyline was fun. Yes. But it felt like Cockrum was putting more time into it. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it was still bi-monthly at that point. So maybe it was just, a, maybe even Claremont was putting more time into it. Maybe here he's, I don't know how many other things he was working on when he was doing Uncanny X-Men, but maybe he's just sort of like, as usual, we've done no research. Uh, you know, it's like, I got a week to get this script put together. So I'll explain it here in this, you know. Yeah. Um, I wonder. Um, so there's also, I, I wanted to bring this up before I forgot. There's a trope in one of these issues, which is, I, I don't know if I've talked about it before, but I think it's the funniest claremont trope which is the ticking clock like he loves saying this in 20 seconds so and so will die and then for the next two pages it's like the countdown from 20 to 1 and what happens over those seconds that the person like saves themselves yeah it's happened at least four times oh i loved it that was one of my favorite moments of this little stretch very early on in the X-Men, like they're falling from a plane to the earth and it's like, they've got seven seconds before they hit the earth. Or whatever. That is funny. I don't think I picked up on that. That's funny. When it showed I mean, up here, I, because I it was like, clock is just a trope of like action yeah. genre, but Claremont in particular really tease up the, we got 20 seconds. I don't know. I'm curious how many issues end with the X-Men declaring somebody dead only to have the next issue start with them saying, nope, he's alive. Because <laughs> that happens also here. Like Claire, Colossus looks dead at the end of the issue. They're all dead. like worse than the last time this happened. Yeah, and then the next the next issue starts with like hey, like hey. he's not okay, okay, but it's like he's got a pulse. And yeah, he's and actually up on his feet fighting by the end of the issue. <laughs> but he at least has to like go to a doctor, get medical and, help, and yeah. And there's the alien technology thing of like yeah. that healed him faster or whatever. Right. It, it makes more sense, but it's still, uh, and like, I know Colossus doesn't die here. I think I would have heard about that yeah. uh, seeing that he wasn't around in all the comics I read later on. Um, but yeah, it is a very, it's like such a cliffhanger thing being like, he's dead. And the next issue be like, no, I think he's okay. Is it possible to even summarize high level what happens in these issues? Um, yes. No. Can you Maybe. do it? Uh, uh, I, I can't with any detail because once I get the details, it it I don't understand. Lalandra is captured, yeah, and the X Men save her. Yes, and the Brood are the bad guys working with some of the Shiars. Yeah, and that's all I understood. And then they fight Rogue. And the, she, the Shiars are angry that Lalandra has been captured, and they're blaming Earth. And so they're going to blow up Earth if Lalandra is not returned to them. Yeah, but also it's like a conspiracy, right? Because they're the ones who maybe kidnapped her. Uh, oh, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't, keep I couldn't track follow. Of like, it seems like there's a faction involving this character Warbird. Oh, right. He wants to over. There's, a, there's an admiral who is in charge. And so he this general wants to take over. So he has started some kind of plot 
to give him an excuse to murder the general and take over the admiral. Right. And, and, this, and so I think the star jammers got involved because they are pro Lalandra. Uh, and they're being blamed for this, but really they're trying to save her from this like evil conspiracy. I think and, I couldn't quite follow the machinations of it all. And then good word. And then the other, the other thing is uh, what's, what's the, the one who, Almost kills Colossus, Deathbird, or Deathbird. I think Deathbird. So she is the older <laughs> sister of Lalandra, and she thinks she should be queen. So she also has a plot to overthrow Lalandra's like regency. So there's like the military coup, yeah, and then there is the royal coup, right? Well, there and there, the military coup is uh, uh, coup is using her against does she understand that or is she being i don't i don't know fooled? i don't know i don't i she may be with them or she may be uh, a puppet i don't fully know okay let's talk about some fun how should we do this because we could be here forever on let's just flip through it pretty quick because i don't otherwise i can't i don't even know if i could talk about okay, it okay we also have one of the things going on is that corsair member of the star jammers who is cyclops father is in the mix and so once again i think for the third time that i can remember cyclops is realizing and remembering who yeah. his father is. I think it's happened before, but this seems to be the big confrontation where he is having to work with his father and yeah. they are officially reunited over this in it's a sort of stormy way. Uh, no pun intended to Aurora Monroe. Um, it, it's also very funny when, when like yeah, Cyclops is so mad that Corsair is his dad and didn't tell him and he's mad at Storm for not telling him. But then like by the end of the issue, he's calling him Pops. Oh yeah, it's the it's old... very it's very Claremonty. Like, okay, I accept you're my dad, and I'm gonna call you dad all the time. Yeah, but and I'm it's... gonna call you Sonny. Yeah, they move quick. Um, like I don't even also, call I think my dad. A... I'm not even that comfortable with my dad. Oh, and I've accepted him as my pops. father since yeah. day one. Yeah, <laughs> we've never not known who our father is, but I'm almost comfortable enough to call him pops. That's what I hope to get to someday. <laughs> Can you imagine us calling our father pops? He wouldn't even register it. He wouldn't even notice that I had done that. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, so we got the Corsair thing happening. I think Corsair has a pretty good case. Like he a watched great case. His his plane was being attacked. He threw his kids out with a parachute to save them, and then saw them burn up. Saw them burn up. Then he got teleported to an alien world where he was made a slave for years. Yeah, broke out of that to save his wife, who was murdered in front of him. And then he became a pirate and just never thought to get back to look up his son. Pretty good. Pretty good argument. Yeah. And then when he did meet his son, he's like, I probably shouldn't tell him. It's complicated to let him know. <laughs> this kid's grown up without me. Like, why should I get into his life now and mess it up? Yeah, I think he is a hundred percent in the right. It's at I least mean, very. I don't quite understand why he was kidnapped. Yeah, how did he get teleported to an alien race? But okay, if it's it a does good excuse. Happen, oh yeah. man, if I ditched somebody, yeah, and I could legitimately prove the reason I didn't show up for like, oh, sorry, I missed brunch. I got kidnapped by aliens <laughs> for ten years. Here's the proof. I've been living in outer space. Look at my space tech. Yeah, that's a good it, excuse. And then when he's mad at Storm for not telling him, Storm's like, Gene made me promise. That's also a pretty good argument. That's a great excuse. You're the love of your life. Your lover said, don't tell him. I was like, all right, I'm going to do what you say. You know him better than me. And you have a my mental best connection to him. You and I have you been best friends for three issues, which in the X-Men is the longest friendship yeah. that you could have. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, it's very funny. I, yeah, Cyclops just doesn't have a leg to stand on with being mad at him about this. I mean, he could be shocked and confused. 
Uh, another funny thing in these issues, or a, fu- a fun thing that I really liked is um, Kitty and Nightcrawler have a lot of time together. They were yeah. they were sort of she was kind of freaked out by him for the first couple issues, but now she fully just loves Nightcrawler, which she should. He's great. Yep, they're really good friends, and I, they get they're like being held as collateral by the Shi'ar while the X Men try to yeah. rescue Lalandra. Again, that gets complicated if we try to explain it too much. But what the upshot is, is that Nightcrawler and Kitty are sort of prisoners and they hang out together and we see them be friends. And Kitty has a fun thing where she finds a costuming device. So she's constantly trying on new costumes and Nightcrawler is like shaking his head at how outlandish they are. One of them is a Darth Vader costume. Yeah. Um, But she's also using that. She's I guess she's kind of a computer genius because her her time using the customer, she's hacking into the Shi'ar's computing networks. She is a computer genius. I don't know when that was established. I do know that is the case, definitely by Excalibur. She is like the computer person. And it has been already established here, but also she got like a mental imprint from Professor X on the technology there. Yeah, like when they were agreeing, when Professor X agreed to let Kitty and um, Nightcrawler be the um, collateral. He hugged her and transferred some info into her brain. Yeah, and it's she, also she, she was a computer genius. I think with um, arcade. I think she like did some computer yeah. hacking there too. Yeah, I think she's done it before. Um, it kind of makes uh, sense. Like it's the kid. This is the early '80s. Computers mm-hmm. were like magic. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the, the Apple II, the IBM PC Junior. Just the word computer was a good. Just like anything can happen with computers. Um, it was, it was emotionally very true then that you could just say I hacked into the computer, and as a reader you'd be like, oh, I guess so. Like that and, would that would soon become like a joke in action movies, you know, where people were like, I'm hacking right. in. But I mean, also point, as far as the stupid, <laughs> as far as the team goes, she makes the most sense, right? It's not going to be Colossus from Communist Russia, right? It's not yeah, going to be. Kid. She's the American it's not gonna be Nightcrawler. Kid. It's not going to be Cyclops or Wolverine. <laughs> Or storm. Yeah, it makes the, total the sense. Goddess, it's a really so. cool move that Kitty is the computer. She's expert. the most normal one. And the most who else, who in your family do you turn to to like, how do I get this thing to work? But the 14-year-old. Yeah, but even beyond that, I think like she's like the 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 American who's had like a normal life. Weirdly, I could see Storm just being good at it. In oh, the streets of everything. Cairo, I had to learn Fortran. Um, it's also funny how the X-Men get involved in this because Corsair gets teleported up to the spaceship because and Cyclops and Storm are with him, but then they also teleport the rest of the X Men from somewhere else for no reason other than they should be there. Like yeah. they weren't all together. The X Men just get teleported. <laughs> it's happened three or four times that the X Men just get randomly teleported away from wherever they are. They must yeah. be so comfortable with that. It's just like you know, you're opening up the fridge, grab some milk, and next thing you know, you're on a spaceship. You're like, yeah, okay. Um, the very first of these four issues, it ends with Deathbird fighting the X-Men. Um, I can't quite remember why, but uh, she's the one who, quote, kills Colossus, but not yeah. really. Um, she kills him twice, right? She kills him once in this issue. She knocks she him like, down and they She hits him with like an acid bomb in his chest or something. Yeah, which like melts the metal and they're able to patch him up from that. Right. But then a javelin then she, gets him good. She puts a spike to that same spot. Also, Tigra's there for some reason. Tigra's just jumping around here from the Avengers. I never read any Tigra stories. She's always just someone who showed up and kind of flirted with everybody and left in like any superhero stories I read. I guess she's an Avenger at this point. It's neat that like to have an Avenger in there, Claremont is choosing a female Avenger and also like a lesser known Avenger and not bringing like a big gun. 
It's not yeah. Captain America or Iron Man. That's such right, a pretty right. cool yeah. instinct. Though it is very funny, uh, moving on to the next issue, like whatever the first time Tiger's talking, there's like a caption about going, she quits the Avengers. Well, that's Louise Simonson, right? Who has to like cover up. Yeah. Because she's uh, talking about like, being in the Avengers and like, this is before she quits. Yeah. Uh, I used to love that in Marvel Comics. They had to kind of like, um, don't worry that this character is now somebody else or whatever. Um, there's there's some cool visuals over here. Um, you know, we got Cockrum as the artist. Yeah. And um, in that sense, all that costume stuff for Kitty Pride is right up his alley. Oh, yeah. He could just do a million costume designs and they're all pretty cool. And they all do look pretty cool here. Um, okay. There's some Professor X Lalandra stuff. They are reunited. They are lovers reunited. Yeah, they're so happy to see each other. It's also like, why did he leave her again? I guess just to hang out with the X-Men. All that stuff gets fuzzy in my mind. It's like I forget soulmates because our brains have been like merged together, but also I like left. Right. And the X-Men were cool that I left forever, and you're cool that I left you. Yeah. You know and the X-Men don't need him. I don't know. He is kind of a, a jerk, as Kitty Pride will famously say soon. Um uh, the the best drawing in all four issues, I think, is the huge shot of the Brood's ship. Yeah. It's so legitimately horrifying and uh, scary. It, like, gave me, it gave me nightmares. Like, I've had already nightmares about this, and I just read it yesterday. This is like a space whale with, like, domed cities on its back or something. It's kind of awesome. Like, it is great. a great drawing and and really effective at making these this and then that that is described to be a slave they've like mm -hmm. carved out the brain of this whale to use it for transport so it's kind of like in pain it like it amplifies the bad guyness of the brood i mean cockham definitely wants to be working on a science fiction space book mm -hmm. this is the stuff he's excited to do and from the looks of it it's pretty pretty good at least the the visual design of it yeah he's good at it there's no question um, okay, so we got a big battle between the brood and brood, the brood are these like insect like kind of nasty creatures, right? Yeah, I mean, they turn out to be like aliens, right? They can like put uh, um, aliens inside your body, but I don't know if that's established here. Maybe that's what happens to Professor, Professor X, X at the end, but even that's sort of not spelled out. Before we get to that moment, there's a moment where Storm is thrown out into space. Or they yeah. wound they wound the whale ship, and then she gets thrown out in space, and they rescue her. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the ticking clock. They have 30 right. seconds to rescue her. Yeah, my um, only problem there is it jumps from 23 to 11. Show me every second if you're going to show me most of this. <laughs> show me most of this countdown. Show me all of it. Yeah, or just start at 19 or whatever you, whatever you need. Yeah. Um, okay, th somehow this is all resolved. Like they rescue Lalandra and they under they uncover the coup. I don't even totally know. Um, I don't understand either. Uh, Maybe I read it too fast, but I think it's also not written super clearly. Uh, one cool thing is the doctor of the Shi'ar is a little bug, or is it the doctor of the Star Jammers? The Star Jammers, I believe. Okay. Um, he's like a huge mosquito, but he's the expert doctor, mm -hmm. and he speaks very intelligently, and he heals Colossus twice. Yeah. Um, I kind of love that. I love that the doctor is just this creepy-looking, maybe robot mosquito who yeah, bosses Star around Wolverine and says, get out of here, pal. I'm working with my patient. I mean, weirdly reading this, I'm like, do a Star Jammers mini. This is cool stuff. Uh, yeah, the Star the Jammers are sort of in the way. Yeah, there's just too many people going on here. Oh, what about Phoenix coming back? Should That's we... a fun. The, the cover of this issue has like Phoenix. This is issue 157. Has Phoenix standing there, uh, saying, "Surely you know that a Phoenix dies only to be reborn again." 
and uh, all like the global guardians or whatever, the Imperial Guard is like, it's Phoenix, but she's dead. It's really cool. And it's like definitely in a comic with that is its most momentous storyline. It's very eye catching and interesting. And I thought a pretty fun. I thought it was not a cop. Yeah. Yeah. The reason, so what it turns out that Kitty Pride is using her costuming device to dress up and imitate Phoenix. And that works both as a like bait and switch for us, the readers who maybe want Phoenix back. Yeah. It also works because the Star Jammers saw Phoenix in all her power, not Star Jammers, the um, Shi'ar. Yeah. And they would be scared of the presence of Phoenix. It's a good like chess move. To yeah. make them think Phoenix is back. So I'm like, all right, that's a cool story point. And it's got to be on their mind when they're fighting the X-Men. Since that's the yeah. last time they were with the X-Men. So it's a really cool move of Kitty comes up with this on her own or maybe Kitty and Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, it's a great it's, battle move. And it stood out amidst, amidst this kind of confusing plot as like, oh, Kitty Pride. Like Kitty Pride is formidable. Yeah. she she's she She holds her own in these issues in a fun way. Not sort of as like, um, off to the side doing her own thing, but she feels like she's feeling more and more like a member of the team, I guess. It doesn't feel forced to me. She just feels, you know, Claremont gets a lot of um, praise rightfully for like strong female characters and like diverse relative to the time stuff. But like the proof's got to be in the pudding. Is the character good or not? And Kitty Pride is so good right away when she enters the team always she just works. Like, I don't think of the X-Men without Kitty Pride. No, it's crazy to, to, I mean, we read those issues, but it's crazy to imagine her not being on the team. Yeah. It's like, I can't picture without Colossus, without Cyclops, without Nightcrawler, without Storm, without Wolverine or Kitty Pride. Like they, they to me yeah. are the, those are the X-Men like always. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so the last, can we just jump ahead here? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like, the last issue is Brotherhood oh, of Evil Mutants. Did we talk about the end of this oh, no. story? No, we didn't. Uh, uh, Professor X is... Uh, prof the, the key thing that lasts is... Oh, I don't even remember how it ends. I don't even remember quite how this ends, so I guess I don't know why I'm asking. Uh, Kitty Pride has to, like... I think Lalandra is... Lalandra is restored as the rightful leader and the good leader, and the military coup is uncovered, and Desperate is gone. There's a bit where like she reveals that she's alive and the Imperial Guard sort of fights itself. Some of them are working with this coup side. Some of them aren't. But even that, I couldn't fully yeah. follow. But whatever happens is once she's revealed to be okay, because I guess what the coup is doing is like she's dead or gone. And once she comes up, she's like, no, I'm not. That sort of ends the coup. Yeah. But so she, she had to do that in a way where that didn't endanger her. Uh, and then Professor X maybe has a brood in his head. So, yeah, Professor X, at one point when he's trying to do a long-distance communication to Nightcrawler and Kitty, realizes that some malevolent force has entered his psyche. It's not fully explained. And that sends him basically into a coma of some kind. Yeah. And that coma is an internal battle he is having with this malevolent force. And it's not specified in these issues what that force is, but it's drawn, and it looks like one of the brood. Yeah. Right. So I assume it is like an, yeah. So I assume, and I think I know the brood do that. So that also is a key to it. Um, but yes, uh, that's how that issue ends. And then we have one more issue that we covered, which is issue 158. 158, which is a rogue story. Yeah. The entrance of rogue into the X Men. Yeah. I guess she's been in an Avenger story that I yeah, think Claremont I looked up on has written. Yeah. She, she's, she hasn't been in the Marvel Universe that long at all. She was like in one or two issues, basically. Yeah. 
she was in some Marvel special issue where she stole Ms. Marvel's powers and then an Avengers annual, which was sort of a continuation of that or something. Yeah. I I forget exactly where it happened, but like she was in two issues where she's a member of the brotherhood of evil mutants and she uses her power absorbing ability to permanently steal Ms. Marvel's powers. Right. That's where she's at when we get, we meet her in this issue. And this is also like a thing Claremont does a lot. It's like he created all these characters in other books or, or wrote them a lot and kind of feels ownership of them. And now he's like bringing them all into the X-Men if they don't have another home. So Carol Danvers is here. Now he's bringing rogue over. Uh, He did the same thing with like Misty stone for a while and Colleen wing. Yeah. He he'll bring a lot of iron fist people like that in and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Misty Knight, I think. Misty Knight, sorry. Um, you always say Stone. Yeah, I don't know why that is. You turned Emma Frost into Emma Stone. That made sense. But Misty Knight into Misty Stone. <laughs> Maybe it's just that. Maybe I think everyone's related to Emma. Um, yeah, anyway, so this issue starts with them back on the evil Magneto base that they've turned into X-Men headquarters. <laughs> Cthulhu Island, which I guess is in the Bermuda Triangle. I didn't realize that. And they're hanging out with the Star Jammers and Carol, Dan- <laughs> Carol Danvers is beating them all up. Yeah, it's realized that even Carol Danvers has lost her supernatural ability. She's still kind of got like a Captain America super body. Yeah. Um, so she's like extra strong and fast still. Uh, they try to fix Professor X's brood problem, but uh, they can't. And the, whatever it is, is keeping people from detecting it's in there. So, yeah, that is going on and is not resolved. But the main thrust of this is they go to the Pentagon. Oh, yeah, the Senator Kelly is continuing his campaign, his anti-mutant legislative push. Yeah. And so that motivates the X-Men to break into the Pentagon and erase all records of them that Professor X once voluntarily gave in a previous government agreement. So this is all about the X-Men with Ms. Marvel, sorry, with Carol Danvers, infiltrating the Pentagon and erasing their records, and they run into Rogue. That's what this issue is. Yeah. Without Cyclops, because I think he is hanging out with his dad and his brother doing a family reunion. Right. Um, this is, I, I, this is my favorite issue of the four. I really enjoyed this. 100% agreed. It also made the most sense. It was like just the simplest. It's kind of, and it basically is a rogue Carol Danvers issue. Yes. Uh, with some fun stuff like Wolverine, we see rogue kiss Wolverine to subdue him. That's a rogue move, you know? Yeah. So we should say who rogue is for the, I can't believe that anybody listening to this would not know, but why it's don't you a- say it? Well, also, Rogue is also uh, a character that I think of as an X-Men a lot. I think because she was in the X-Men during Secret Wars, which is probably my first. Oh, I think of Rogue as an X-Men, no doubt about it. Introduction. Uh, Rogue's it's power. Weird for, I didn't really realize she was part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. That's how dumb I am. I didn't know that for a long, long time. I think I knew that before we started this podcast, but only because of like some Wikipedia page or something that I read. Um, I didn't know she had been a bad guy. But Rogue Rogue's- was also in the X-Men movies, so she, you know, her yep. stature was upped by that. Yes. So in the her main power is that she can absorb your powers and thoughts. Memories, yeah. Memories by touching skin to skin with you. Uh, it's a blessing it's, and a curse. She can't control it, at least at this point. And maybe she can in comics now, but she can for now. a long time her status quo was if she touches you, uh, she in whether or not she wants to, she starts absorbing your powers and memories. And if she touches you too long, it can be permanent, which is what happens with uh, Captain Marvel or, or Miss Marvel. Yeah. She absorbed all her powers permanently and also her memories. So like it confuses Rogue. Like she's got these Miss Marvel thoughts in her head that she can't get rid of. Yeah. And Miss Marvel has amnesia from those memories. 
Yeah. But I guess Miss Marvel gets her powers back at some point. I don't know how that happens. I think Professor X does it. Uh, but but Rogue also doesn't lose those powers when that happens. Because for a long time, this is it. Rogue like has this power absorption, but she also is like super strong and can fly because that's a Miss Marvel power. Okay, interesting. Um, right? That was she definitely has had those powers for a long time. And then without getting into it, because I don't know how it happens, she loses those at some point. But like I'm talking like in the 2000s, she loses those powers yeah. and now has them again, I think through another you know, convoluted storyline. And what I think of as rogue is kind of like the badass Southern bell. Yeah. Orphan, you know, like broken home kid who's kind of tough as nails. Cause she's had a rough upbringing and her power is kind of tragic. She can't touch yeah. anybody. Um, so that's what makes her interesting, right? It's like, she can't have human contact because if she does her powers kick in. Yeah. So that's why when she does deliberately want to steal something, she'll often kiss people because it's the only time she can kiss anybody or hug them or something. It's kind of beautifully tragic. In the first two X-Men movies, I think it is so great. Their use of rogue. She's really fun in those and really intriguing. She doesn't have like the Miss Marvel power. So she only has the uh, power absorption. Yeah. But it's just, it's really great. Like the first time she kissed a boy, she sent him into a coma which is just a horrible origin. Yeah, yeah. It's so, um, I kind of can't believe that this hasn't been a superhero trope. Maybe it has been, but I can't think of a lot of superheroes where it's like, they just can't touch people. Yeah. Um, uh, Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies, the uh, television Daisies. show. Yeah. Really good. yeah. Um, uh, or so, you can't touch some people, right? <laughs> she um, can't touch, she, in Pushing Daisies, uh, she just can't touch the person she loves. <laughs> Pushing Daisies, I love, man. What a great setup. What a complicated, but I can't very believe it took you this long to bring up Pushing Daisies. Love that show. Um, so we meet Rogue here, but Rogue is a bad guy. She's a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We'll find out later that Mystique has basically raised her. We don't know that now. Um, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And um, so she has kind of a loyalty to Mystique. Mystique is in the mix here. Yes. Um, and uh, But this is basically a Carol Denver's story, and it's a really fun yeah. one. Carol Danvers also does something to she, she also races her records too, when she's in there racing the X-Men records. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not much to the story, but it was fun and an easy read. Uh, it also is very funny because the last page has next issue Dracula. I know that's so funny. <laughs> it made me laugh a lot. I mean, for what, for how respected the X-Men is and it deserves it and how influential and monumental it is. It's also batshit crazy a lot of the time, but mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, this is what comics were like for so long. That just like, even when they were good, it was just sort of like, was so fly by the seat of your pants because it was so like, now we can't have planned it out that far in advance. We got another issue next month and we're all working on multiple comics and artists generally at that point were churning out an issue. Even the good artists were doing an issue a month. Yep. And it's like, if they couldn't, if if they wouldn't spend two months to make it better, they're like, we got to get it done. Yeah, And the writers were probably working on three or four titles. So they weren't like planning out well in advance and they were on titles longer. So they they kind of run through their initial ideas pretty fast. But this is part of what, as a fan, you loved about Marvel. You can sense that chaos, like DC with the squares, the straights, the guys who were playing by the rules. This isn't necessarily true, but this is like what it felt like. They were the corporate office guys and marvel was the lunatics who would do something nuts like have dracula team up with like dazzler or whatever yeah and dc also felt like they had the easier job that's not easy necessarily but they they were like just like what's the plot idea 
this happens to Superman. And that's mostly what your story is where like the X-Men, it's like, what's the storyline? Something with the brood, but also <laughs> we want to make sure we remind you that Cyclops is dealing with his dad and yeah. Kitty Pride's falling in love with Colossus. Yeah. And Wolverine is bristling at being told what to do. Like all that stuff also has to be and I think in there. unconsciously there was a feeling of a lack of oversight. Like the creators felt more on their own. I did not realize this at the time, but like looking back, there's just like a pleasant amount of chaos in the story development that I think was fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that was by design. I think that came out of just like a company that was struggling to make financial, you know, uh, success, not having a lot of editors. And also following the blueprint laid by Stan, Jack and Steve, that was chaotic. Yes. Yes. Like they're like, oh, we want it to feel like this chaotic time. And we are sort of flying by the sea of pants, but like that's baked into these characters a little bit, sort of this yeah. messiness. It's fun. It's really fun. I'm really enjoying this. Um, should we move on to our mailbag? Yeah, let's take a break and then we'll do some mail when we come back. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics as partnered with Shortboxed. Shortboxed is an app and a website where you can safely buy and sell graded comics online. They're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. As part of our partnership, we're going to be doing periodic giveaways. Uh, their first giveaway is Dark Knight Returns number one. This is the 2018 foil cover edition, but it's signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, and it's graded 9.8. It's worth over $300 on most uh, things that value those sorts of things. Nice. So to enter this contest, go to shortbox.com slash screw it and enter your email. That's going into March 10, 2022. Everybody go ahead and do it. It's free. No purchase necessary. They will send you a coupon with a $15 of credit if you want to buy something at Shortbox but that's up to you. Yeah, but if you get a coupon, you got to use it. That's a law. You got to use all your coupons. Yeah. Kevin, if you were going to buy something from Shortbox today, what might you go shopping for? You can get anything you want. I'm going to get something with a piece of like gold oh, attached to it. Yes, or, I should have, yes, um, I should have said you can't make those kind of conditions. You have to actually just pick a comic book that you want for the comic I itself. I see. So nothing with secret riches or a treasure map. That was my next choice. I don't think they have such things on Shortboxed. I, mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at every listing. I haven't searched for hidden jewels on the app, but mm -hmm. I assume that's just not one of the comics they have. Well, if I can't ask for one with a treasure map in it, I will ask for Amazing Spider-Man 18. I believe hmm. that's the the middle of the cowardly Spider-Man arc as I'm going to dub it right now. Okay. So 17 is the one where he runs away from a fight with the green goblin because he hears Aunt May is in the hospital and 19 yeah. is where he suits up again and fights. But 18 is the issue in between where he spends the whole issue like hiding from action <laughs> Yeah. Uh, because he can't risk hurting himself while Aunt yeah. May depends on him so much. And it is so fun. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, just for Jonah Jameson's pure happiness. <laughs> I remember it. I mean, when we covered uh, all the Spidey issues, I remember we sort of discovered like, oh, this little three issue run is a great mini arc back in the original Amazing Spider-Man issues. Yeah, uh, it's it's so fun. So it, I think about it a lot. Uh, mine would be Fantastic Four 232. This is the first issue that was written and drawn by John Byrne. And I love it. I, I love that whole era of Fantastic Four. I love that issue in particular. So it's got kind of personal, you know, significance to me. Diablo is the villain. I just remember thinking it's really fun. I would I would get that issue. You love potion based villains. They're uh, they're my weakness. What can I say? Uh, that is a great run. John Burns' whole run. It's just there's something both new and classic about it at the same time. It's just so great. Glad you started talking because I was trying to think of other potion based villains and I was really <laughs> coming up short. 
I gotta hope there isn't one, but <laughs> I mean, there probably is. So everybody, um, please enter the contest and download the app and uh, check it out. Let's get back to the show. Now? Hey, Will, we're back. Oh, great. Um, let's talk about some mail. How do people mail, mail, email us? So we have an email address. It is screwitcomics at gmail. Please email us. Yeah. We, got some, we have regular emailers who we love. Thank you, guys. But we love some new people. If you're listening to this, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the X-Men, uh, Mutants, on The Dark Knight Returns, which is who we're covering on the alternate episodes right now, on any comics that you love, uh, MCU shows, um, Arrowverse shows, uh, whatever Suicide Squad movies out now. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, if you've got superhero video games, I'm playing those. I'm replaying Arkham Knight right now. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on stuff. So um, email us, Screw It Comics. We also have Screw It Comics on Twitter and Screw It Comics on Instagram. I can't hype our Instagram enough, Kevin. I think you do such a good job with it. I think it's one of the best comic book Instagrams out there. And I follow a lot of the comic book Instagrams. I like Tom Brevoort's. I love classic comics panels. Um, but I think that the Screw It Comics is one of the best out there. Oh, thank you, Will. I'll send uh, you a bill. Oh, boy. Geez. To charge people who really enjoy it. That's an interesting technique, but uh, all right, I will honor it. Our first email is an unfortunate one. Well, this comes from Shortboxed. Uh-oh. Um, this is so our they, sponsor. This is our sponsor. We've had him for one. This is our <laughs> second episode. That well, is third, third, counting, third counting the Dark Knight episode. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Anyway, uh, after much consideration, the powers of be at Shortbox <laughs> regret to inform you, and this is because of the, I think, the Emma Stone thing. We just kept the, calling the Emma Frost is, Emma Stone. The subject is Emma Stone, question mark, exclamation point, and the future of our, quote, partnership, end oh boy, quote. That's a bad sign. They regret to inform us, but then it's the just kidding. Uh, they enjoyed our season opener. Phew. Still feels like a threat. Uh, they, yeah. It's still, it's still, they're checking they're, us. They're playing it like a joke, but like. Well, we know I, the truth. It might have just been they were writing this email to end this partnership, and then someone stepped in and goes, give them one more shot, and they didn't <laughs> want to rewrite the email. That's what I take it as. Well, it's, it's, nice. it's like one of those people's writing a note and they die while writing it. Uh, uh, yeah. And they right, keep right. writing the, the death sort of a Monty Python thing. I think that's sort of what happened at Shortbox. They were going to cut us. And then somebody, somebody in the higher ups was just like, we've invested too much in, in the screw it team. <laughs> we can't pull too, out just yet. Yep. Sunk cost fallacy. That's our way of hanging on. Here's another mistake we made. Okay. Tony Labra, who's emailed us before, has emailed us because we talked about the, the, the wolf cartoon. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the whistling wolf that whistles at a beautiful woman and pounds on the table. Right, right. I had it wrong. Eyes bugging out. And Woody you Pecker had said it was Woody Woodpecker. And you I said it was Looney me. Tunes. I was also wrong. Oh. We were both wrong. The big bad wolf, or wolfie as I like to call him, is from MGM cartoons circa... He wrote 1040s. I got to assume he means 1940s. Yeah. Not the See, 1040 Tony, tax not forms. the only ones that make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, most were directed by the legendary Tex Avery and produced by Fred Quimby, who was more famous for the Tom and Jerry shorts, also from MGM, but directed but but directed some Hanna-Barbera cartoons. I know of two MGM cartoons showing pretty much the same crazed woofy going gaga or over a very sexualized showgirl called Red. She had to be the inspiration for Jessica Rabbit, uh, Tony says. A Red Rot Hot Riding Hood from 1943 and The Shooting of Dan Magoo from 1945. Red Hot Riding Hood is what I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. But but I thought that was a Looney Tunes cartoon. So we were totally wrong. Thank you, yeah. Tony. 
Um, but you, Kevin, you were more right than me. I still, I'm, I still, just the fact that I was corrected, I think, puts us in the realm of accuracy more. Yeah, we knew we were wrong. We just thought we'd gotten <laughs> right by the end of that. Uh, he said there was a Warner Brothers cartoon. And this is what I was thinking of, called "The Three Little Bops." That was a cool jazz-filled short with the big bad wolf trying to crash the three little pigs' gigs of various nightclubs. He's right, and that is different. That yeah, is the horny wolf that is like a weird <laughs> jazz eyes cartoon. bugging out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, thanks, Tony, for correcting us. Everyone, please keep us on our toes. We make a lot of mistakes and we we got to keep short box. So we need the, those corrections. We got to lead. I be- mean, I think also, don't we have a short relation? Isn't short box like 10 weeks or something? I don't know. I, I hope we make it to the end of this like, arrangement. Yeah, I hope I they think- don't drop us before the end of the Dark Knight season, at least. <laughs> this contest runs till what, March? March 10th. We got to make it that far. <laughs> All right. Thank you, if Tony. They pull the contest because of our mistakes. That's on us. We'll That's send on free us. copies of Dark Knight number one to everybody who entered. If, if the we can't do ends. that, we can't do that. Well, we can't afford to do that. I swear it. Um, Tony Laber also says in a separate email, he downloaded the short box app and got new mutants number 18 using the Ooh, discount promo code. 18. What's that? that? Look that up. Is well, that what... one? Let me see. It must be. It's early. But uh, well, Bob, wasn't... Layton, Bob Layton did it for a while, I think. Yeah. And he's, what, you said 18? 18. Uh-huh. Stamp, you stand by, talk, fill some time. So great. Uh, I'm going to move on to our next email. I'm going to do some of the um, Dark Knight Returns emails we've gotten. This is from Rob O'Connor. Uh, he's from uh, Ireland, Well, Yes, yeah, in Kevin's issue. Oh, he's in Ireland. Okay, great. Love Ireland. Great country. Lovely What's the country. cover? What's the cover of that New Mutants 18? It's the Native American character who I'm forgetting. Uh, Danny Deep- Star. Yeah, Demon Bear is there, and it's like a close-up on her in darkness, but film noir-ish lights across her eyes, and a huge creature, just the jaws of a massive creature behind her in shadow. It's beautiful. Sounds cool. Good purchase, Tony. Yeah. Oh, man. Sinkevitt's art in The New Mutants was incredible. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. He was doing some fun stuff. Yeah. So Rob O'Connor emailed us. Longtime listener, uh... Here, going back to the Spider-Man days, I promised myself I was going to read less superhero comics in 2022 and read more indie comics and novels. But thanks to you cowardly panty wastes, <laughs> I'm going to have to read The Dark Knight Returns again for the 70th time. <laughs> That's the, You're welcome. This is a true thing, right? Well, you and I were texting each other last night about our Dark Knight episode, and I shared a panel with you. Yeah. And I said, I think I want to reread Dark Knight Returns now. <laughs> And you yeah. said me too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We just reread it a few months ago. <laughs> I mean, I've read it so many times, it's unnecessary. But um, boy, is it fun. Uh, Rob continues, in the 90s, I grew up hearing about it in various mag- magazines and finally bought a copy for my 12th birthday. By this point, I had already read year one and loved it. But Returns was another experience entirely. It's a brutal, almost fetish, fetish-tastically bleak story. And I remember getting through the first issue and being genuinely upset by it. Obviously, I kept reading it. And it quickly became the best comic book I'd ever read. Hearing you narrate the captions gives me such a rush of nostalgia. Hearing Will say, these men are mine, instantly brought me back and had me grinning from ear to ear. Ooh. It's a legacy among Batman comics is insurmountable for all of its slightly iffy right-wing politics. It might still be the best Batman story ever. And it's no wonder why they keep going back to it in the movies. It would be great to hear you do an episode on all the other media inspired, not just the animated movie and the general tone of Burton's Batman 89, but also the Dark Knight Rises and Batman v Superman, both of which borrowed heavily from Miller's work with very mixed results. 
Thank you for share, shining a light on this relatively unknown indie comic that no one has ever done a podcast about before. <laughs> and I, for one, cannot wait to hear more, Rob. Oh, what a nice email. Thank you, Rob. Uh, uh, Rob also mentions that he's got his own podcast, well, Superman podcast, mm. that he co-hosts called All-Star Superfan. He's had some guests on, like J.M. DiMatteis oh, nice. and Mark Wade. Good guests. Those are very good guests. Mark Wade, oh, it's good. It's good. Yeah, that's a really well-written email Rob sent us. It also reminds me, our brother tweeted at me, Will, in The Dark Knight Rises, the third of the Nolan Batman movies, there is a scene where a cop is chasing some criminals and Batman comes by in a motorcycle and the cop slows down ah, and, and says, says uh, you're in for it. We're in for a show. Oh, excellent. And he, and Brian asked, do you think this is from the comic? And it's, it's gotta be. Well, it's gotta Absolutely. be. There's no way that is a coincidence yeah. is what I said. Yeah. Uh, so Brian Hines, who's a big Batman movie fan pointed out to us. Thank you, Brian. Darcy Walsh emails us. Regular listening, I just heard you ponder about editions of Dark Knight Returns since 1996. We had talked about how you and I were reading from different editions of Dark Knight Returns. Yes. You had like the original collection. I had yeah. the 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Uh, he sent a photo of, if you can give me access to sharing a screen while well, I'll share this photo with you. On it. Um, he has the hardcover edition and it is truly beautiful. Ooh, ooh look at that. So, it's a hardcover, uh, and each issue is like bound as a hardcover. Oh, it's like, it's a, slip like, in a, case. Slip case. like a Yeah. Oh gosh, that's pretty. And it is really so. It's like you get the original covers. I'm gonna have to and get it this. It looks fantastic. I love it. Very good. Kev, that's gotta yeah. go on our Instagram. Uh, uh nah. Okay. Uh, he's from Nova Scotia. We're kind of a real international mailbag today, Will. From Ireland to Canada, just all the <laughs> closest to America countries that <laughs> we can find. <laughs> uh, he gives me a link to it, but it, it, it doesn't work. Um, so I, I'll have to Google it later. The Dark Knight Returns Collector's Edition box set is what it's called, Will. I love it. So thank you for that, Darcy. That looks awesome. Yeah. Robert Christ, I'm not going to read this whole email. He says, I don't have to, so I'm not going to. A long time ago, had bought The Long Halloween. Yes. And Dark Knight Returns. And basically was like, uh, um, I haven't read these, but I'm going to read these because we enjoyed year one so much. Okay. Uh, but the, uh, the Robert Christ is a curmudgeon about comic books. He doesn't like a lot of uh, comic books, but he loved year one. It was blown away by how much he loved it. So he did not like Dark Knight Returns. Hated the art, too much machismo and grit. Okay. I mean, I can understand uh, that. It's pretty, it's, it's very yeah. much those things. Especially uh, Robert Christ, uh, Christ, uh, not Robert Christ, Christ, uh, um, the violent comics do turn him off. So this is definitely going to be one yeah, of those. For sure. So he gives his ranking of just different Batman stories. I just wanted to read that part of this email. Okay. Uh, year one, by far the best. Sure. Hush is his second favorite. Hush is a Jim Lee drawn story where basically Batman is chasing a villain named Hush and sort of visits his whole rogues gallery. Uh, I'll have to read that. Then he has Batman and Robin Adventures and the Batman Adventures. These are the animated comic spinoffs from the cartoon. These are interesting. Normally when they do these things at the time, they often like did adaptions of the cartoons Yes, and sold them as comics. And for some reason, DC is like, let's just do new stories in that universe. Okay. And they were really, really good. Um, I bought those two and they are phenomenal. Mm, nice. uh, White Knight, which is a comic that just came out. I forget the name of the writer artist, but it's uh, uh, It's a very fun alternate universe Batman. Okay. The Long Halloween, interesting throughout. Batman is so tough and cool. 
don't even want to include the Dark Knight and Killing Joke. I mean, if he's anti-violent, I understand it because both of those are sort of like yeah. brutally violent stories. I, uh, I'm also kind of soft on Killing Joke. Like, I do recognize that it's a powerful story. Mm-hmm. I read it when it came out, and it's it, it's like good. Of course, I think that's kind of inarguable, but it did feel mean to me. It felt like. I don't feel good after reading The Killing Joke. I, that's not necessarily the purpose of art or whatever, but like mm-hmm. I've never wanted to reread The Killing Joke. It just bums me out. And I'll reread Dark Knight Returns all the time. I've read Killing Joke a few times. I've reread it. I remember reading it as a kid and liking it a lot. It was a very cool adult take on the Joker and Batman. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't Written like it as more much. by Brian Bolland, right? Yeah. Uh, and Brian Bolland's art is phenomenal. Oh, it's in so that. good. Yeah. And it's by Alan Moore, so it ain't bad. Ain't bad. Makes you turn the page, that's for sure. Um, but definitely the the violent shooting of Barbara Gordon leaves yeah, just, a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. Although, I, boy, I, boy, has that become a permanent part of the mythology. I mean, that is such a huge, iconic moment in Batman mythology. It seems to be, anyway. And in Joker mythology. I mean, in a sense, it 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 was that. And Dark Knight Returns, I think, has turned Joker into a much more violent character than he yeah. had been before. Right, right. Um, uh, you know, and it sort of links this whole idea of Joker t- talking to Batman being like, you know, we're going to kill each other someday. Like we're bound to each other. These two are sort of like yeah. connected in some sort of primal way. Um, and that all is very cool. I mean, it definitely works. But yeah, I agree. It it, it ages the worst of all these things. Yeah. Despite the fact that Dark Knight Returns is so 80s, the killing joke has aged worse than it. I think so. I think so. The animated movie, which I have not watched, Will, is even worse because it implies a sexual relationship between Batgirl and Batman. That's weird. So they decided that that was what was missing from that comic book. <laughs> I guess they pushed it further in the direction it was going in a way of being yeah. lurid and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't, not, watched, not the, I haven't watched the cartoon, so I, I'm, I'm judging it based on uh, clickbait headlines. Okay. But I don't like it. <laughs> uh, Thomas Franzen emailed us. Glad you're covering Dark Knight Returns. I reread it recently, enjoyed it so much more than the first time I read it years ago. Something I noticed while reading through the first time was some subtle tie-ins to year one. Specifically, I noticed that some of Batman's internal dialogue mirrors some dialogue in year one. How intentional do you think this is? Do you think Miller was purposely trying to create a complete connected timeline for his version of Batman? Or do you think the similarities were incidental and just a result of Miller having a distinct voice? Interesting. I have an Keep answer. What do you think, stopping. You answer first. I mean, I he did Dark Knight first and then year one, and they were done very close together. So I think he just had Dark Knight in his mind when he wrote year one and probably was doing deliberate callbacks and also just kind of like, this is how I think this character thinks. So I don't think it was like planned out or mapped. And it's just you had a guy doing two Batman stories close together. So there's going to be similarities. So I think that's what it is. But you also think it was intentional? I think it was intentional. I think he was aware. Oh, yeah I, yeah. I like this phrase when Batman says this, or I like Batman thinking. I don't know what he's referring to specifically, yeah. but. I think, too. I think it was intentional. I don't think it was uber plotted out. But I also think, like, this is early Frank Miller. I, th- I think later Frank Miller, it might have just been like, eh, this is just, I'm just using yeah, the same phrases I like to use all the time. But yeah. th- at this point, I think he. He's working harder. He's too smart and to do something accidentally. It has to be somewhat deliberate. Yeah. Uh, definitely moments like where he complains that he's lucky. Yep. Like in, in, in his captions. Um, 
that stuff feels very deliberate because like he in the first time out in his costume he's like lucky lucky um uh and then, and then he's also when he's, like when he's older old right man. yeah lucky old man and that's got to be like when batman isn't the perfect version of batman that he is in between those two storylines he's lucky and he knows it like for want of a little luck batman dies before he even really gets started and for want of a little luck he would have died in the dark night though maybe it's luck maybe it's a supernatural bat who knows right anyway uh but i think it's yeah so we're sort of hedging there Thomas. we're saying it's both deliberate and not mapped out not, not mapped out uh boom, 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 boom. okay uh let's go back a little bit i don't think i read this email from ethan you did not timeless comics comics as they age hello merry milksops and happy holidays so this is back in december he wrote us happy holidays my name is ethan i'm pretty new to comics myself as i just recently got a marvel unlimited subscription and jumped into the amazing spider-man i've just started reading ultimate spider-man new mutants and a handful of other issues here and there as I read, I find it's interesting how the language in comic changes with the years, whether that be references to pop culture icons of the 60s and 70s, outdated phrases like panty waists or milk sops, the Vietnam War being mentioned, etc. I wonder if you brothers have any examples of comics that feel timeless in a sense. Of course, writing is often inspired by the times, even if it isn't blatant, but I'm curious if there's any series or issues out there that feel like they could have been released today and just as easily as they were released at that time. Uh, secondarily, I often notice certain words being used in the past that are now frowned upon or seen as they should be, or, uh, they, uh, frowned upon or seen as wrong or hateful today as they should be ultimate Spider-Man is a product of the 2000. And there's a few words, uses of the words gay as a slur or implying that being gay is an insult. Uh, there's some examples of both Peter Parker and Mary Jane using the R word uh-huh. in a derogatory sense. Obviously, right. I feel this is more a product of the time rather than Brian Michael Bendis being purposefully discriminatory. But I wonder how you two feel about approach this kind of thing when reading comics of the past. I'm honestly surprised they aren't censored or removed in some way from the digital versions of the issues presented on Marvel Unlimited. Um, thoughts on those two things? Well, both timeless comics and like that sort of slurs and slang and stuff. I'll do the second question, which is just like, I'm, um, I don't believe things should be banned or censored. I think they should be presented as they were, mm-hmm. but it's not bad to put a disclaimer at the top to be like, Hey, heads up. This comic was done in the, you know, nineties. And so there's stuff in here we wouldn't do today, but we want to show you if you're reading this, you're reading it. Cause you want to see what was released. So like, yeah, I don't want it changed. Um, but I, I think it's okay to put a disclaimer if you're like, Hey, if this, if this is something that turns you off, you don't have to read this. Yeah, I, think that, I, agree. I think so I kind of like don't change it, eh, but it's maybe give a heads up is, is a nice thing to do. Almost like a I, spoiler alert. <laughs> I agree with that too. I'm also glad, but also I am a little surprised that it's not censored on Marvel unlimited. Like the, it's owned by Disney. There's always that chance that they would go in and change that stuff. I, I just know, think like, it's a slippery slope. Like once you start to do that, um, there's so many things that are uncomfortable to see. Um, and it's like, maybe just a, maybe just a blanket, like, Hey, some of these things are done in previous times. Heads yeah. up, and then for the most egregious ones, um, you know, I, I, so that that's my general attitude yeah. towards. The, there are there are certain things in the past where I think it's like so bad. It's like we don't need to re-see certain old movies. Um, but mm-hmm. in general, my general posture is 
don't censor it and just put a disclaimer and let it be what it was. That's, that's, that's my general attitude. Yeah. I feel the same way. I know like Carl Barks reprints get that once in a while. They're generally pretty friendly. They're it's Donald duck comic books for goodness sake, but there were like certain stories that were like, Oh yeah. He's showing like African people in a very derogatory way. In a caricature just, way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple stories like that where that happens, not much of it, but there is a few times and those stories don't get reprinted as much. Um, they are in the sort of these complete collections and there is like a couple, I think words that have been changed in these collections that get fans very mad. They're like, these should be exactly as they were when they originally printed. And it's like, I'm glad they aren't changed more, honestly. Um, yeah. Uh, and the changes are pretty superficial. The ones that are in there. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Will hundred percent timeless comics is tougher just because even things like dark Knight returns, which is sort of a, you know, a Blade Runner-y fake future story feels like the 80s. Like, it doesn't feel timeless to me. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it was written in the 80s and it feels like a product of the 80s. Year one feels timeless to me. Year one is more timeless. Uh, also, even e there's just even the pop culture references, the visual ones within it are kind of a mixed bag. Like, it's sort of, yeah. it's hard to pin it down to a certain time. I think comics that are written about the past often feel more timeless than comics that are written about the future because the future comics feel like a product weirdly of whatever era they were written in, but comics that are sort of set in a nostalgic past can get away from that a little bit. Um, uh, or comics that are written like with their timeline, you know, um, Astro city, which are like very set in certain times, the stories that are being told can get away with it. Like Marvel's feels pretty timeless. The crypt you say, Alex Ross. Nostalgic. Yeah. I mean, we're saying timeless, story. just like not of a certain time. Like it's doesn't, yeah. I, you know what? I'm going to say there are, there is no such thing. Like every comic is a product of its time. And that's a huge part of it. I, I like when I read the old Ditko stuff, it's dated, it's yeah. antiquated, it's got that Stanley overly verbose dialogue. That's part of its charm. I don't think that makes it bad. I think that's part of it. I, there's, I think there's really no such thing as a timeless, timeless comic. I mean, to me, there is some stuff that just still is fun to read today. Like Casablanca is a fun movie to watch today. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not of its time. Sure. Um, you but know, I think there's, I, all, there's also like timeless can also just sort of mean like it, when I'm watching this, it doesn't make me think about uh, a specific era. Yeah. Uh, like it's sort of it's cloudy and lost. I think about like this is a weird example, but when Disney World revamped Tomorrowland uh -huh. to be like H.G. Wells themed to a future instead yeah. of just sort of like like when uh, when Tomorrowland went when I was a kid, it was very much uh, like how we would picture the future then. Yeah. So it was like what, what so like the truly 80s... was trying to be like this is what we think the future will bring. Yeah, so it was like, you know, spaceships and silver costumes and stuff like that. And then at some point they did a big revamp and it looks like this is what we thought the future would look like in the 50s. Right. And on, on that, it feels more timeless to me. That feels more timeless because it's like this is steering deep into what we thought, like a, a vibe, I think. Yeah. So it feels like this, you don't need to change again because it's like, well, that'll always be the H.G. Wells-ish future design motif. Like steampunk weirdly is timeless, right? Right. Because, yes, because it's permanently from the past. 
no matter yeah. where you are in the future. Yeah. So I think there can be things that feel timeless in that sense. I think they are far and few between, and I don't think it's a thing worth worrying about. I think you read Me stuff because it's good. Like you say, The Dark Knight is so 80s, but I think it's quality transcends that. And it's still readable because it's so well done. Right. Exactly. Um, and I would say that, about, you know, like All-Star Superman is such a great series. And yeah. I think it'll remain great for a long, long time. But I don't, but I think it's of its time. Also. Yeah, I don't think it's timeless either. I mean, it's very much Morrison style. Yeah. Feels like a 2000-ish. And it's an interesting question. Um, thing. Uh, I don't know how we're doing on time. I got a few more emails. Should I go through them? Let's just do it. Okay, let's do it. Dave Ball emails us. Um, to get into the spirit of Spider-Man, I recently replayed Spider-Man on PS4. This is a question for you, Will. Okay, yeah. Curious if Will has replayed Spider-Man recently. And also, yes. what is your favorite special Spidey power in the game? Um, my Oh, um, the impact web. That's the one I have the most fun using. I love okay. like just ripping in there and just like popping off four dudes with a little impact web. It's very that's, fun. That's a special web shooter thing, right? Yeah, that's a web shooter. I think he means the special tech. power. He his is spider blossom. That's when like you shoot webs everywhere. Oh, mine is the um Stark Spider Bot that you the can fly. fire off and it like shocks and like incapacitates the weaker of the villains. Okay. That's my favorite uh, one. Uh, and my says, second I, favorite is the electric punch. Cool. Uh, he says, I think I've 100% of the game about four times and I keep coming back to it. Where are you at, Will? Um, oh, gosh. I've done it probably 10 times. And I've done the DLCs three or four times each. And I 100% <laughs> it every time I do it. <laughs> when I replay, I do not 100%. I don't I think mean, I 100% it ever. You had to 100% my game for me because I was like 98%. You came in and did the last thing I missed. <laughs> I should have let you do it. I, I couldn't I, find I, it. I, I, I had missed one photograph. I should have just told you where it was, but I... But we didn't know. I overwhelmed myself and had to just do it once I found it. Um, um, no, I'm fine. It's not dumb doing how it. much I played that game. Like, I know it extremely intimately. Like, I even... I mean, it's bad. I should, somebody <laughs> should delete the game off my system. <laughs> I mean, you got your money's worth. That's for sure. Um he then goes on to talk about uh, Dr. Doom, Dr. Strange, Triumph and Torment that we had yes. covered with Chris Gethard. Yes. Uh, that I want to read a little bit of. The story really showcases Dr. Doom's character and encapsulates his motivations and really solidifies why I think the character is so appealing. Doom gets exactly what he wants, does it exactly how he wants it done, and still in the end is left with nothing. He's set back to zero, his future consisting of only more of the same, conquest and ultimately loneliness. You really feel how isolated Doom is at the end of that story. I think that's really well put. Yeah, it's very nicely put. He talks a little bit about how there was a Doctor Doom solo movie in development for a while by uh, Noel Howley of Fargo and the Legion TV show. Oh, interesting. Uh, I was looking forward to seeing what Howley was going to do with the character. Uh, Fargo is just all around great. I think what he did with Legion uh, did really well uh, was depict mental telepathy and ESP powers in a visually engaging way. He went for more of an abstract depiction of mental powers instead of the old cliche of different colored laser blasts and holding your fingers to your temple. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the Dr. Doom solo movie as his introduction into the MCU. He asks who we would cast as Dr. Doom. We don't know. But uh, how would you feel about a Dr. Doom solo movie? Well, I'm, I haven't thought of that, and I'm really intrigued with that. I think that might work way better than him as a villain in the FF movie. Um you know, Kevin pointed out that Doom is really the protagonist of the Secret Wars story, and it works well. 
Um, and, he, and this email makes a good argument for Doom being a protagonist of Triumph and Torment. I think this is. I think that's a really intriguing and smart idea. I I I haven't thought about it before now. Um, Even if he came after the FF, he might be interesting more as a solo character prior to being a villain. Uh, I mean, in a way, Thanos is the the protagonist of Infinity War, so there's it could be done whether or not it's called Doctor Doom or not. I don't know. He also this is a sort of a shot at Marvel Unlimited. Um, you ready for this? Well, yeah, I'm ready. I will not be purchasing Marvel Unlimited until you have become an official sponsor of Screw It. We are just going to talk about comics. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. I'm sorry I had to use my outdoor voice, but I feel strongly about this issue. I better be able to use promo code Screw It to get 20% off of a Marvel Unlimited subscription with the next, within the next fiscal quarter or there will be hell to pay. Incredible. So, I mean, um, we have a sponsor now, Shortbox, but now like we need to have two, I guess, is what we're hearing. I mean, this the the Merry Marching Milksop Society is not going to have it any other way. Uh, uh, any thoughts on that, or should I move on? Let's move on. Keith Moser emails. I think you will. Have you heard of the Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story? Yes, it's a, it's a trade. It's a comic book. Yeah, a graphic novel about Brian Epstein, the uh, Beatles manager. Yeah. Have you read it? I've read it. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's beautiful visually. It takes a very um, um, complimentary and sort of bolstering view of Epstein, which I have personally. I think he is underrated by the general Beatles fandom. Hardcore Beatles fans know how important Brian Epstein was, but I think the casual Beatles fan don't understand how crucial he was. And that comic really spells it out. And he seems just like a fascinating dude. I love that. I love that comic. It's really nice. I also feel bad. Brian Epstein died young, a drug overdose, um, and he was a closeted gay man at a time when homophobia was really intense in Britain. And so even though he was at the top of his game, the manager of the biggest band in the world, and do a lot to his smart moves. Um, and so he was enjoying a lot of the success that he deserved, but in a way was uh, limited by by bigotry. So I, I think he's really intriguing and just like a smart, charming man. So I really love that comic. Not read it. Yeah. But it certainly is right up your alley. Perfect oh, yeah. intersection of your interests. Yeah. It's once they turn that into a PS4 game, you're you're done. I'll hundred percent it all the time. You know, I've <laughs> got to get the rubber soul achievement done, <laughs> but they got to get that album done by Christmas. Uh, a few more quick emails. Well, Ryan Speakman emails asks if we've ever heard of Gwenpool. Does that ring any bells to you? No, but I'm a dummy. Great. No, you shouldn't know this character. It's a newer Marvel hero. What started as a popular variant cover of Gwen Stacy mixed with Deadpool was later incorporated into Howard the Duck and eventually got her own series as a character who actually has nothing to do with Gwen Stacy or Deadpool. Interesting. She just happens to have the name Gwen Poole. She ends up being from our world, like our actual world. Well, okay. But is somehow transported into the Marvel universe. She's an avid comics reader. So her power is essentially the fact that she knows everyone's secret identities and weaknesses. This eventually evolves in her having fourth wall wake breaking powers where she can navigate through comic panels. She figures the only way to ensure her survival in the Marvel universe is to become a hero. That way she'll get her own series in our world. And as long as she has a fan base, she'll never die. Uh, the series is pretty funny and clever. And even though there isn't time to read all the comics you are recommended, I think there's value in just knowing this character exists. Thanks for the great pod, Ryan. Let's check it out. Sounds um, interesting. 
I have not read Gwenpool. I've heard good things about her series. It's no longer, she no longer has a series, but uh, I've heard good things about it. She was in Kelly Thompson's West Coast Avengers, which was a very short lived series. And I read her in that. And she was interesting. She's a weird, that's a weird character origin. Yeah. It sounds kind of fun and kind of modern too. Like I feel like meta characters is the theme of the last like 10 years, like being aware that you are a character type of thing. And I mean, it is very funny that she was basically just like a one shot cover that someone drew. Yeah. Like an alternate cover that became a character (laughs) sort of willed itself into existence. Uh, we get an email from Gregory Young. Hi, Emma Stone, he says. Ugh. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're never going to live that down. It's the new Daredevil's costume was designed by Steve Ditko, which I incorrectly said in one episode and haunted me for years. Yeah. Um, Gregory Young recommends a couple comic books to us, Will. Silver Surfer from 1987. Yeah. First couple issues hastily do away with the idea that he's trapped on Earth and quickly jump into a wildly huge, wildly huge cosmic tale that introduces... So many new characters, uh, uh, new worlds and adventures, and directly leads into the original Infinity Gauntlet, all with the backdrop of a continuing Kree-Skrull war. It's a cosmic playground for the creators. Once you meet Nanora and Clumsy Fallup, you'll want more. Issue 35 is even a Thanos-themed nod to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where Thanos weighs in on climate change. Wow. Uh, I've always wanted to read that. I've read a couple issues of that Silver Surfer run because of Infinity Gauntlet. I've always wanted to go back and read the whole run. I've heard good things about it. All right. Good rec. Uh, he also recommends Man Thing, the Steve Gerber run. Okay. A protagonist that only is marginally sentient and nonverbal. Perfect canvas for a good writer to bring all their ideas to the table and make them all happen in the same swamp. Big fan of the Nexus of All Realities, a Man Thing podcast, which has lots of context. There's literally an antagonistic business mogul named F.A. Schist or fascist will uh, it gets so wonderfully weird with racist wizards the first appearance of howard the duck undead conquistadors so many alligators to beat up etc yeah i also have not read that steve gerber i have not read much steve gerber me either but i've always been intrigued by him and he seems so interesting that i i'm actually extremely intrigued by that wreck i might want to read those old man thing things uh, and finally things. uh philip brown emails with another recommendation I just started going through the Batman year one ep- episodes and I've been very amused by all the pining for a pure Gordon version of year one with only flashes of Batman. <laughs> yeah. Good news. It kind of exists. Have you ever read the Elseworlds story, Batman noir? Hmm. Ed Brubaker wrote it when he, while he was on Batman, it was his first collaboration with Sean Phillips. I don't want to say much because I think you really love it and it should track it down. You may even find yourself needing to do an episode on it. On a similar note, what do you all think of Ed Brubaker's Batman, The Man Who Laughs, which was written as a direct follow-up to Batman Year One? Curious to hear your thoughts on it, as I think it's an underrated gem. Keep up the good work. You've got a fantastic podcast on your hands, Phil. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Phil. I've read both of those, and I don't remember them well. I, I read Gotham Noir a long time ago. I have it in a box somewhere. I need to dig it out. Before, I was like a big Brubaker fan. I just bought it. I think it was like on sale. Midtown Comics would sell... Um, trades that were like battered up a little bit sure for like 50% off. And I bought it on a lark from that and read it and enjoyed it, but I don't remember anything about it. Okay. I mean, it's the criminal guys. So that sounds like it would be good. I'm sure I'd love it and I should reread it. And, and same thing, Batman, I at by the time Batman, the man who laughs came out, I was reading everything Brew Baker did. So I bought that as well and read it. And I don't remember anything about that either. I feel like I was underwhelmed by that. 
It's a pretty big promise to try to live up to Batman year one. I mean, that's, that's pretty tall yeah. order. Living up to Batman year one. And also my love of Ed Brubaker was like two things that I'm like, well, this has got to be perfect now. Yeah. Uh, and I think I was underwhelmed by it, but I, since I don't remember anything about it, I don't actually think it's bad. I just like, sometimes you read things and you're just not in the mood to love it. And it's just not um, going to work. Yeah. Maybe check it out again. I think both those things I need to reread and Philip Brown has convinced me of such. Thank I'm you, closing Philip. the mailbag, Will. Um, hey, thanks everybody for emailing us. Please send us emails, screw it comics at Gmail. And um, we really love it. All the correspondence we get. So please send it to us. And next episode, we'll be back with more Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, issue two. Yes. Ooh. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Man, so good. That issue's so good. It's so good. All right, we'll see right. you next episode, everybody. Bye. Bye. Screw it, screw it. Just about comics. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, yeah Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not, Not all of them. them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? <gasps> I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney Vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Campfire.